Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm Kirsten. And this is Most Foul Mini. Are you ready? You're our intro person. Hello, listeners. <laughs> What's going on today? <laughs> I like that as our new standard. You're listening to Kirsten and the Andrew. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we could become shock jockers. <laughs> Just burp, 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 burp. <laughs> But I need a mixing board that has like fart sounds and stuff on it then. Oh my god. Could you imagine if like that was our path to a successful podcast? <laughs> More fart sounds, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you win the masses. <laughs> No, I mean, we passed a huge milestone this last week. Can we talk about it, even though we posted about it on social? Yes, because we need to show I can't talk at all. <laughs> I'll take over. Yes, because we have to... I'm trying to imagine what you were about to say, but I don't know. I was going to say something like we have to show gratitude, but then it felt very weird to say we have to show gratitude. That's like what a person... An ice cold person would say. <laughs> Checking notes. We must show gratitude to the people. <laughs> Are you secretly a psychopath just putting on a very good act that you have human emotions? I think I cry at too many commercials to, <laughs> to not have empathy. <laughs> no, but we... we past the 500 download mark this last week, which is so exciting. So to you listening, thank you. Oh my God. Seriously. People are listening. It blows my mind. (laughs) They are. And, you know, we have listeners from all over the world. We have listeners in India. We've had some listeners in Iceland, who we know who that is, but hey, Iceland. (laughs) Um, We've had listeners in the UK, in Israel, in Germany, in Canada. We have, I think, a couple listeners in Canada. Um, So it's just super exciting. Brazil, Latvia, Belgium. Yes, thank you. I'm forgetting the list. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if we didn't name your country, let us know. Yes. And if we were better hosts, we would have learned how to say thank you in Latvian. Next time. Mm, yeah, I was like, I, I don't even know why I thought about it, as if I know a single word in Latvian. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure Finnish is Kitos, but that is useless. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's how we court the Finnish market. Finlanders, Finns, I've been to your country. Listen to us. Listen. <laughs> Please. Yeah, so big milestone. Um, What else? What you got for banter? Hit me. Well, so the dentist. Yes. I like my dentist. I had kind of some odd things. I mean, listeners, Kirsten, dentist in the time of COVID, you know, a little weird. Yep. But that wasn't the weird part. (laughs) One is when the hygienist talked to you while also operating inside of your mouth. Yeah. It's like, I don't know who this helps. Yeah. But she kept saying that I I looked British and I looked like Queen Elizabeth's family. (laughs) 
And I was just like, uh, uh. <laughs> It's like, I don't know. I I guess that's nice. <laughs> so for the people who have never looked at the website or our social media and don't know what Andrew looks like, he is way better looking than the royal family ever was at any point in history. So, Oh, well, thank you. Yes, that's just but, my unbiased opinion. <laughs> but that was the one where I was like, okay. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> don't know what I'm supposed to do here. But then the thing is, so they did a cleaning, like a deep cleaning on one half of my mouth Mm because they had to numb because I had a cavity. Mm -hmm. And um, since they were numbing, they only did one half. And so at the end, I went to go schedule the appointment and the receptionist was like, oh, no. And I was like, oh, no, what? And then my dentist is out for all of next month. So I have a half cleaned mouth until a month later was is my appointment and like it's not that noticeable except for my permanent retainer where I can like really tell that they cleaned half of it (laughs) oh no "Mm, so I have to wait for a month to have a fully cleaned mouth but isn't doesn't okay so like full disclosure that was like a very long pause I don't know why I'm like searching for words but my husband is a salesperson and he sells dental, um, not equipment, but like supply, I guess supplies and equipment. Anyway, so we talk about dentistry a lot in our house is what I'm getting at. And I know way more about it than I wish I did. And that seems like, like when you have bacteria in your mouth that can cause carious lesions, in case you're wondering, like the technical term for a cavity, it seems like a cross-contamination situation. Like they got out half of it, but then it's going to kind of like contaminate the other side. I don't know about this. That's a science I don't know. I don't know about this. Well, I'm happy to talk about dentistry all day because I realize, so for folks uh, who are listening every week when we post an episode, I listen to it again before I post so that I can you know, remember what we talked about and like write up the post for the blog and we do our social media and all of our stuff that we do behind the scenes. And I was listening to last week's episode again, and I made it totally sound like I don't ever go to the dentist, which I totally do. (laughs) I, and I just want that to be known publicly that I do go to the dentist on a regular basis. And when I said I hadn't been to the dentist in a while, I meant like I hadn't had my teeth whitened in a while, not like I hadn't gone, you know, to have a cleaning. So I just wanted to clarify that. I don't want to get a reputation as someone with a filthy mouth. We like it become a huge podcast, go on tour, and everybody just gives you like toothpaste. <laughs> I love having a clean mouth, and I love dentists who do a difficult job, especially in COVID. Yay, dentistry! <laughs> mm, I did cough in the chair, and you know, I would say probably their fault is the two people operating inside of my mouth with the little suction thing, like I swallowed something wrong. Mm. But then after I coughed, it was just like silence. (laughs) But I mean, they're all like super masked and they have shields and the whole nine yards, don't they? Oh yeah. It was mask shield, um, (laughs) which I guess was a complication with the whole, you look like the Royal family thing too, because it was a muffled conversation as well. (laughs) Or I could sort of hear it. Yeah, I mean, I... Like just, 
I don't know, put on some music, put on a podcast. Like I just, I can't talk back to you. I mean, and not even just that my mouth was open. It had the like wedge thing to keep your teeth open. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There, is there a class on that at dentistry school? Like chair etiquette and but I feel like nobody gets the memo on that which is weird because even dentists go to the dentist so they know what it's like to be in the chair too is strange maybe there's a psychological thing to it maybe they're taught to talk to us oh to like put you at ease or something (laughs) rapport building to put you at ease every dentist I've ever gone to the hygienist and sometimes the dentist has spoken to me when I can't respond. That's what I'm saying. It's a thing. So yeah. If you're a dentist or a dental hygienist or a dental professional and you can explain this to us, please write in mostfoulpod at gmail.com and just let us know what is up. Oh, one more. Well, I guess this is the dentist episode. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and maybe your dentist is not the same as mine. Well, obviously it's not literally the same, Um, but... (laughs) Dentist office art. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like a cartoon tooth holding a toothbrush and it says, <laughs> smile, it's tooth's day. <laughs> As I was in the waiting room, I was like, imagine you go on a date with someone. <laughs> you go back to their place and they have dentist office art. Run. And are not a dentist. Run. <laughs> <laughs> run like could you imagine like it's such a niche market like literally only dentists can be the people buying this art right <laughs> or people who just love puns so much that they collect all manner of puns i don't know still a red flag not as red as just dental puns. No, no, it's still a bright red flag because that could just be their excuse. Oh, I'm just a pun enthusiast. No, you are a psycho and you want to chop me up into pieces. But yeah, just imagine you go to someone's house for the first time and they're not a dentist and there's just that type of art. (laughs) That's an episode of some TV show. Ah, uh, that's our next calling when we uh yeah. when we show run our own TV show. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, for sure. Um so uh, the other exciting thing is that um, we got more inciting incidents. Woo! Woo! That was my shock jock callback. <laughs> <laughs> we so appreciate the listeners and Please keep sharing your stories with us either through the web form on mostfowlpod.com or you can email us just right directly at mostfowlpod at gmail.com. Just keep them coming. They're so interesting. And I know we only, like, I've only perused them. I don't think Kirsten, you've even read through these. No, no, you chose these. So I'm just going to be surprised, but I'm really excited. It's so cool, like, the different things. (laughs) Should we just jump right in? Yeah, I think so. Okay. We predetermined that I will go first, correct? Yeah. All right. So, let's get this up here. All right. Hi, Kirsten and Andrew. My inciting incident was definitely the murder and nonstop news coverage of John JonBenet Ramsey. I'm an older millennial, so I was still pretty young when she was killed, and I was weirdly obsessed. I just remember that the coverage was inescapable. 
I have vivid memories of getting picked up from school and going to the grocery store with my mom, and John Bonet was on every tabloid and magazine cover. Then we'd get home, and the news was talking about John Bonet. I was very fortunate to have not experienced death in my family by that age. So in a way, I say this as someone with hindsight, but this murder made me confront mortality for the first time. And as a way to do this, I wanted to learn everything about the case. I know I was a very cool kid. (laughs) (laughs) And that still continues. I've listened to so many podcasts and gone down some Reddit forum deep dives about the case, and I am still fascinated by it. I hope you cover it sometime. I'd also love to know what you both think happened. Thanks for the great show so far. I'm really enjoying it, Beth. Ah, amazing. First, yeah, thanks. Second, I triggered sense memory. Mm -hmm. I, like, can vividly see the checkout aisle. Yes. And, like, Jean Benet in, like, a, a sparkly cowboy hat or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, all the glamour shots, and it was Every tabloid, yeah, every periodical, everywhere. It was everything. It was, yeah, it was everywhere on everything. And I think even in Vanity Fair and some of the reputable magazines that you would see would have, you know, headline featured articles, not the cover photo, but articles about, you know, what had happened and for years to come. I mean, it, it still is pervasive in the culture. But yeah, I, I feel like the tabloid kind of like magazine rack at grocery stores is something that, I don't know, like, is, is this generation that's coming up now even getting that? Is it the same? It feels not quite the same. I'm trying to think of if there's even tabloids at my grocery store. Well, I'm one of those obnoxious people that shops at Whole Foods. So there are, but it's all like how to make your house look like a Pinterest dream board. So (laughs) you'll never believe how hot Jeff Bezos actually is. (laughs) Yeah. Not very scintillating covers on the magazines. Now that he he owns Whole Foods, (laughs) it's all just pro Amazon (laughs) anti-worker stories. (laughs) Um, But yeah, John Bonet, I feel like I, I probably younger because I, I definitely it was in the peripheral, but like it, I never saw the news of it in my house. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we all knew because she was on all those covers and like the child pageant star, which I mean, I don't know. I can't really speak for American, especially being so young at the time. But my assumption would be that most people were not familiar with child pageants. Like, it's not like toddlers and tiaras now. Yeah, no, totally. I feel like that was the first time that it really, you know, made it to the mainstream that that kind of subculture even existed. But I can remember that even the photos, like, creeped me out from the child pageant level, even as a child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was weird. Um, And I'm trying to think, I was in my early 20s, I think, when that happened, whether you were a child, an adult, or, you know, if you were cognizant, you or your parents had to make a very concerted effort to avoid that story because it was everywhere. Yeah, I remember Jean Benet being everywhere. And then, of course, OJ. Um, yes. Those were like nonstop. The OJ trial was on TV. It was 
I, I don't even know what year that was or how young I was, but just like so bored and angry that it was always on the news. And mm-hmm. it's like, I want to watch cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one very clearly because it happened this summer after I graduated from college. And I was still at home at that time, but then the trial took place when I was living in California for the first time. I was living in San Diego, and so the coverage was just bananas in Southern California. Oh, I bet. Like, we stopped working to listen to the verdict come in. I mean, it was, like, you know, intense. Um, And I think, I don't know the date specifically of John Bonet, but I feel like it was right around that time, maybe a little after the trial for OJ was in 95. Um, the crime had happened in 94, and I feel like John Bonet was a little after. But yeah, just I can see how a young child, this would be what flipped the switch, right? I mean, completely get that because it was everywhere. Like, I think if you're a kid and it's a kid, that's going to really hit like a strong note because. It sounds like for Beth, this was her first experience with death generally. But I think for a lot of folks, even if they knew, had a family member who had died, this would be their first time kind of really understanding that kids can die, which for kids is like a profound moment usually. And to have it be something so violent and just icky. Yeah. And probably still with the infancy of 24-hour news, Mm -hmm. I would guess, that it was just, you know, like the crime of the century level. Yeah. (laughs) Where once a national craze in a a real-life crime or trial is happening, it's like inescapable, like they said. Right. So I think from a hot-button topic list, this checked so many boxes in terms of like clouds of suspicion over the family. It was a child. But I think also this one is really the first time that I kind of became cognizant of this idea that certain crimes got covered more heavily than others. So for me, it was an awakening to that is like this cute, blonde, white child in, from an affluent family in an affluent neighborhood. And very much the storyline was like, this kind of thing doesn't happen. And that's such a white privilege kind of attitude to have in so many ways, especially if you think of it from the standpoint that the family had some involvement, because we know that domestic violence like cuts across all all kinds of social structures and mm-hmm. and racial groups and every kind of demographic you can imagine. Like domestic violence is a thing everywhere with everyone. So yeah, that that's how I kind of remember this was really an awakening to that. And of course, like coming in close proximity either before or after to the OJ trial, which also had heavy racial overtones and elements and implications. This was kind of my mm-hmm. awakening to the intersection of race and crime and privilege and all of that. Well, in terms of what we think happened, you know, this is, even though I pulled these from the email, um, I didn't look this up. So this is still off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. But my theory has always been someone in the family did it. My working theory was always that it was the brother and maybe it was an accident and the parents covered it up. Mm -hmm. But like, the parents are absolutely guilty at the very least of covering it up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have to agree. I, I think 
I don't know a lot of the details about this. And if we ever cover this on a future one, I'll really have to do a lot of research because I don't know a lot of the details of the crime. So for me, this one, when I'm analyzing it, I'm really doing it from a psychological standpoint of what scenarios make sense. Um, But to me, this always seemed like something that had to be someone in the family um, and then covering up. But well, the the handwriting samples like went back to the mom for mm-hmm. the ransom note. Mm, oh, the, right. the ransom was the exact dollar amount as the dad's Christmas bonus from his office. Um, oh, yeah. When the police couldn't find her, the dad was like, well, obviously this isn't how it happened. But yeah, I like, know. Yeah, yeah. He was like, well, what if we checked the wine cellar? The thing, though, that, I mean, the details are coming back to me now that you say these things, but it's kind of like, wouldn't they have been smart enough to not do these things if it had been them? And especially with the bonus check, I'm, I am thinking of a couple of cases that I read about recently where someone else knew the bonus amount and asked for a specific amount, and that was actually how they kind of solved it. I don't know. It's weird. But, like, again, my theory of, like, the brother did it on accident or on purpose. The parents find out and it's like, you know, oh my God, we've lost a child. We're going to lose another child. How do we protect this? And it's like ransom, kidnap. Like, so the plan could have been like real seat of your pants. Yeah, 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 that's true. But that's just my working theory. And, you know, it might be hard to cover this one. In a weird way, there hasn't been that much... Well, I guess we could do the research because maybe it has affected culture in some really interesting ways that aren't like a one for one. Yeah, I think this one would go into more child pageants and like reality television and things like that more than, you know, a novel or some. But I mean, who knows? There could be more that we just are not aware of. Well, thanks so much, Beth. So interesting. Okay, so on to the next. Yes. Hello. (laughs) I'm a relative newcomer to the world of true crime. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate a good mystery, but I've just never gravitated to the genre as a whole. I'm slightly embarrassed to say that that changed with the show Tiger King. (laughs) You and and a bunch of other people. (laughs) (laughs) In my defense, the pandemic in general and the overwhelming sense of malaise probably also helped to send me in the true crime direction. But there was something about the show, probably the absurdity of it mixed with this type of person that I never even knew existed, resonated with me and unlocked a desire to understand the human condition. Tiger owner sex cults? Multiple <laughs> tiger owner sex cults? How can that be real? That then led me to documentaries and podcasts about Heaven's Gate and... Oh, shoot. I, I messed myself up here. I meant to look up how you pronounce... Nexium. Nexium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Embarrassed. I haven't watched those documentaries. You can tell. <laughs> um, sorry. Uh, documentaries and podcasts about Heaven's Gate and Nexium and Jonestown. I've been working from home and live alone, so I have a lot of downtime these days, and true crime has really enthralled me. Thanks for keeping me company on some of these boring work days. Marissa P. Mm, awesome. And I love the use of malaise and enthralled. thank you marissa wow that's amazing um you know we've talked about tiger king a little before 
And I'm at a disadvantage because I've never seen it. I, I know we're going <gasps> to get shit about it. And I also got shit because I never listened to S-Town, which makes me a bad true crimer. <laughs> but we well, talked about this before, and I started watching one of them, and I was like, I lived this. Like, I, you know, it, basically I was triggered. I was like, I grew up around this, like... Check, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt or whatever. Um, like, don't need to watch it was my take on it. I believe you don't have to watch it. <laughs> and, like, if you watch it, you also need to understand the editorialization and things like they purposely left out all of the racism because they wanted Joe to seem somewhat sympathetic. Ugh. Uh, apparently he's like a mega racist, which is not surprising at all. But why but would like, they leave that out? Because then it's well, just because the real story is like him versus Carol Baskin and like like questionable morals. And so if he was just so disgusting from the jump, I I think it would have hurt the narrative they were choosing to create. Um, but it's still fascinating. Um, and, I, you know, we talked about this in another episode. Similarly, I was like, I know a lot of people like this. I've never really thought about it from the lens of someone who doesn't know these types <laughs> of people. Yes. That's got to be mind-blowing. Well, I think it does. And it reminds me of the first time I read 100 Years of Solitude, which is one of my favorite books of all time, I start reading it and, you know, of course it's magical realism, but I'm reading it and it feels more like fantasy. And then to learn about his childhood and that a lot of the stuff that he talks about, I mean, it was real. All, all of those things that happened were, you know, it wasn't it wasn't fantasy. And I feel like somebody looking at Tiger King would look at my childhood in a similar way <laughs> to like <laughs> Columbia of a hundred years ago. But there are multiple sex cults around these big cat owners, Which, like very small, like Joe had two husbands. Right. This other guy had like a harem of women like that. That was still mind blowing to me watching it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, what to be clear, I didn't grow up in a tiger sex cult. <laughs> but <laughs> So the two things you need to know about Kirsten, she does go to the dentist, and she did not grow up in a tiger sex cult. <laughs> so that kind of, like, specific detail <laughs> is unique to my experience. But, I mean, you know, just the, like, rural, like, I don't even know how to describe it without being really negative. That subculture of, you know, I, I grew up, well, and I am, I mean, I consider myself to be one as well, like amongst hillbillies and, and I am kind of a hillbilly myself, but. Well, and I don't want to blaspheme, so I'll be um, <laughs> revealing something about myself is that I sort of had the opposite effect in that phase of the pandemic. I stopped listening to true crime for a while. I, like, couldn't take the pressure of the pandemic, the world, Trump. Yeah. I, like, it's also interesting that somebody, like, turned in that direction, like, as a true crime stan, absolute stan. <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't. Like, I, I had a real break where I did not listen to anything except for comedy because I could not 
I couldn't take that in. I'm back now. Um, I totally back relate. Back into my true crime. I didn't do anything, true crime or otherwise. Like, I played Candy Crush for, like, four months. I would just, like, <laughs> sit in a corner. I would put my kids to bed, and I would sit in the corner and, like, rock and play Candy Crush. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I feel less judged, but... Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that was the thing for a lot of people. It was, it blew up on social because it, it was that thing for a lot of people, I think. So Marissa, I don't think you are alone in this. No. And then welcome to the true crime family. (laughs) All right. Ready for the third one? Yeah. I'm excited by the title of this one. I'm just going to go ahead and read. Hi guys. Love in the pod. Thank you. I also made my work team make zombie apocalypse plans, so I feel like we are kindred spirits. (laughs) Anyway, I've been hooked on true crime forever, and I think my origin story comes from the board game Clue. Shout out Hasbro. It was my favorite pastime, and I would beg my family to play it with me. I even had a Clue-themed birthday party one year. I secretly wanted to be Mrs. Scarlet, but I began... I begrudgingly dressed as Professor Plum, but that's another story. Needless to say, I'm queer, and I was a very special child. Um, (laughs) I haven't played it in years, in years and years, but I still watch the movie at least once a year. What can I say? I've got taste. But it never really dawned on me until listening to the podcast and thinking about my inciting incident, how wild it is that I was introduced to not just murder, but also fun, tiny murder weapons as like a (laughs) six-year-old. That's kind of crazy, right? Like, do you want to, like, do you want to play the evil capitalist money game, the murder game, or the game with too many dice? Can we get you as a writer on our show? Uh, Not to mention the talk to the devil game talk to oh talk to the devil game (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i think my love of clue turned into a murder mystery obsession that eventually turned into a true crime obsession andrew if you're ever in atlanta let me know jake not from state farm (laughs) (laughs) that is fantastic jake um we're gonna need you to fill out a couple of forms (laughs) (laughs) Also, not a murderer. Gonna need some. <laughs> That's amazing! Wow. Okay, yes. a couple things. I always forget that Ouija boards are like Milton Bradley or Hasbro. <laughs> I know, right? At first, I was I'm like, like evil devil game i was like what devil game oh yeah okay the ouija board yes yes okay devil game it is kind of weird huh yeah i it's i i don't know i've never had a ouija board or anything but i i never think of that as like a board game but i guess it is it is i mean they make it <laughs> uh, you know yeah well and also i never really thought about monopoly as the evil capitalist money game but it is and now the new version takes credit cards and stuff so it's like it has a machine. The one that my mom got for my kids, it has like a little like credit card swiper and you load money onto the cards instead of handing out paper money. Uh, do you know the story of Monopoly? Mm, vaguely. Quick During tangent. the Depression something? Um, this lovely woman created it as a way of showing how horrific business and unchecked capitalism is. And then a man stole it from her. And sold it as this game that we all play. Like, it was created to be a lesson against capitalism. 
And then some fucker stole it, ripped it off, gave her like $500, and then sold it as Monopoly. Oh my God. I need to take a grounding breath right now. (laughs) I hate that game. I will not play it. I mean, even to my nieces and nephews when they were younger, uh, they're like, we want to play Monopoly. And I was like, I refuse, child. I refuse. I will not put myself through this. Yeah, that's terrible. I think our new tagline also should be, welcome to Most Foul, where we ruin all of your childhood memories. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that topic, not ruining it, but I mean, what if <laughs> I've never thought about Clue this hard? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, very funny way to write it, but the little murder weapons and you are like playing this game as a really little kid. But I also like Jake, I feel like very connected to you spiritually because I loved Clue. It was the only game that I really ever wanted to play. I mean, once I got past Candyland, it was Clue all the time. And I still have a have a version of it i love playing it as an adult even though it's super easy pretty much (laughs) now um i love it and the movie okay i don't know that we've discussed this clue was also my favorite childhood game really yeah and again maybe it's because i was the youngest and it it was an easy game and like my siblings could beat me at all the other games but (laughs) Clue was my favorite, and the movie is incredible. Oh, my God. The movie, like, I was about 11 or 12 when that movie came out, and I loved it. And I don't remember as a kid, because it was different. I mean, the Hollywood machine existed, but building a pipe towards an opening wasn't the same as it is now. But I remember Mm -hmm. the hype building up to this movie, and I was excited before the movie came out. And part of the promo for the movie was how it had, like, four different endings. And when you went to the movie in the theater, you weren't going to know which ending you got. So now, if you're, like, Andrew's age or younger, and you watched it only ever on TV or on a DVD, at the end, they play through all the alternate endings. The way it was released in the movie theater was they picked one, and they showed it. And I think it was to try to get people to go and see the movie more than once. Um, mm-hmm. But like that little hook of like not knowing which ending you, I mean, uh, I loved everything about it. <laughs> it's still good. Well, and I think also at the end, I mean, for a kid in the eighties in Missouri, that was the first time that I was like, Hey, I'm gay. And it wasn't like a joke. It wasn't, it was just, Hey, I'm gay. And okay, what do I make of that? Like, you know, I didn't know anything about people being gay. I absolutely knew people who were gay, but I didn't know that they were. I didn't know what it was, you know? So it was like cutting edge in that way. I mean, it's so mild for the time, but, you know, again, as like a tween in rural Missouri, that was pretty like, wow, for me. Did you have a go-to character So, I mean, I think that for most, well, this is my speculation. I think for most girls who were raised and socialized, like, in girly culture, it had to be Miss Scarlet. Like, who would want, you know, what kind of girl would want to be anything but the hot, sexy, big-boobed character, you know? Um, But I loved them all. I just loved inhabiting that world in my mind. I was a uh, Mrs. Peacock. 
I mean, also awesome. <laughs> also awesome. They were all just so great. And the characters who played them in the movie, uh, it was, I mean, that movie is perfection to me. I love it. I still watch it. It's so good. I do. I watch it all the time. Anytime I happen to stumble upon it, for sure. But I go out of my way to watch it pretty much all the time. And then one that's kind of related in my mind, even though it's older, is um, Murder by Death, which has a similar kind of vibe. Have you seen it with Peter Falk? And Mm -hmm. okay, stop what you're doing after we do this. And watch I just it. hit end. I leave the Zoom. <laughs> Murder by Death. It's so good. Um, I think there's some racial stuff that doesn't hold up super well because there's a part that parodies um, the Charlie Chan movies. So, you know, just a warning on that tidbit. Like, there are parts of it that don't age as well as some other things. But in terms of, like, you know, the spiritual... Um, ancestor of Clue. It it's really good. Oh, so interesting. <laughs> wow, Jake, you really have touched a nerve here. And I feel like at some point we're gonna have to do we're gonna have to find a way to connect Clue to an episode so we can do a whole Clue episode. Yeah, I actually don't know the origin. I think Cluedo is mm-hmm. how it started. That's like mm-hmm. the only tri- trivia I know. Yeah, so maybe that'll be a fun little tangent to see if there is any any crime connected to Clue to find a way to mm-hmm. uh, get this in. I guess we could make a bonus episode about Clue and just our love of it. But <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. I'm glad to know that there are other people out there who. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, it's hard for me to say just one of my own because I feel like. I really, a lot of the stories that we've heard from folks so far, they resonate with me too. And so it's just kind of like all these different things that come together to make me a weirdo. Yeah. Well, and even just the fact that after all this time, you and I have never, I'm sure we've talked about the movie Clue, but we've never talked about loving the board game (laughs) Clue as kids. I don't feel like we have talked about the movie, have we? Flames on the side of my face. <laughs> that gif is life for me. Yes. And if this is too obscure, I'll just cut it so we seem like clue enthusiasts. But the thing that I always wondered about was Yvette, the housekeeper, mm-hmm. with her extreme French accent. Mm-hmm. But there is a moment where she's whispering no accent at all. Mm. And is like, they're in the house. And I was like, oh, the accent's fake. But then she's like, it's you. <laughs> right before she gets killed. And I, my whole life, I've been like, did she just, could she just not whisper the accent? Like, that's got to be a mistake. Or was there another plot line that just never made it? Maybe, because she whispers 100% no accent. And then immediately as she's, like, startled and is about to get killed, she's, like, back to her accent and her speaking voice. So I was like, well, what was that? Oh, my gosh. Who could we try to get on the show from the movie? Oh, okay. One sad bit of trivia about me. For whatever reason, I thought Leslie Ann Warren passed away. (laughs) I, I just had that working assumption forever why 
I don't know. I I just thought she did. I I like grew up watching a lot of her like really older movies from when she was really young. And it was just in my mind that she passed away. And I think maybe it's because Madeline Kahn had and mm. I don't I don't know. I think it was the TV show Community. I was just like watching it and you know, I'd thought that she was dead for at least a decade. <laughs> And then she appeared on the show. <laughs> and I was just like, <gasps> Yeah. She's alive. She was a lead on USA's In Plain Sight for a while, if you ever saw that show. She was great. So, Love yeah, her. just the shock of a life, being like such a clue fan and thinking about how sad it was that she died. Well, she's who I was immediately thinking of, but who else? Michael McKeon? Who else? I mean, Tim Curry seems like a hard get. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Christopher Plummer, but that's not his name. Christopher Lloyd. Yes, thank you. Well, he played Professor Plum. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) My old brain, the wires are getting crossed. (laughs) Oh, that's how I could pretend to be a psychic. It's like I'm... Christopher Plum. Plum. <laughs> All my weird connections come out as like a sixth sense or something. So before this turns into just a clue podcast, <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you so much for being on this journey with us. Amazing. Amazing. Please keep sending us your stories. I mean, we could talk about them all day and we will probably off pod. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And as always, we appreciate the hell out of you. A hundred percent. Thanks for listening to Most Foul. If you've got a tip for a future episode topic or want to send us your own inciting incident for a mini episode, visit our website at mostfowlpod.com and write in. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. It really helps us out. Plus, we'll read five-star reviews on an upcoming episode. This has been a Facts from Janet production. 